You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay. I'd like to welcome um, the speaker, who is me, to the front. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That's a lovely round of applause. Thank you. Um, it's great to be here. Um, it's been so long since I spoke to you all. Um, this is, uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, um, or mini Christmas as I like to call it. And, um, and as I've stated here before, um, on a Sunday before, I love Christmas, right? So I'm really excited that we're now heading into this holiday season, this Christmas season. And I, I love Christmas. I'm like a reverse Scrooge in the fact that I spend 11 months of the year grumpy and then for one month I kind of cheer up a little bit. I become a bundle of festive joy in the month of December. Um, well, comparatively, anyway. I mean, not, not that much, but a, you know, a bit more than normal. And um, there's, nothing I like, there's nothing I like to do more than to uh, sit down with a gallon of eggnog and, um, and watch... Uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies, uh, Gremlins, and um, which is a Christmas movie. Uh, also, Die Hard's a Christmas movie, um, and also Die Hard Two is a Christmas movie. Uh, my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, I love it. I love Christmas. Love everything about it. I love the anticipation, the preparation. I love. Um, you know, people are happier, aren't they? They are cheerier. They are. You know, the the kind of those Christmas songs are are true. Um, Things are different. Things are brighter. Things are. There's a sense of anticipation in the air, especially when you're a child, and you know, and especially having children, you see their anticipation and their excitement, and um, it, it's a great time of year. Um, and so, I'm excited that we are starting today a series on Advent. Okay, a series leading up to Christmas. Okay, and we're going to have four weeks of um, uh, of sermons leading up to. Uh, four weeks of themes leading up to uh, Christmas, Christmas Day. And uh, the four uh, themes we're going to have are hope, love, joy, and peace. And today we are looking at hope. The word Advent. The word Advent means to come or to arrive. Okay? It means to come or to arrive. And what we do in this season of Advent, in these four weeks or so leading up to Christmas, is that we are anticipating and expecting an arrival. We are anticipating and expecting an arrival. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Um, And the word Advent is also where we get our word adventure, okay? So there's something about this arrival, this expectancy that also brings excitement, brings adventure, brings a sense of anticipation, something we can look forward to, something we can um, hope in. And so I think particularly out of all of these themes that we're looking at, Advent is most defined by hope, the idea of hope. And so that's what we're going to look at today is this idea of hope in the story of Christmas. Now, sports fans know all about hope, right? Because when your team is uh, 1 and 10, as ours is, um, you, you, you have to have hope, Um to approach this afternoon with anything other than um, despair. Um, Believing that these, against all evidence, (laughs) that the Jags might win. Um, You have to have hope. Sports fans know of hope. 
nerds know of hope, okay? Because if you sat through, um, as I did, the abomination that were the three Star Wars prequels, um, every single awful minute of the, uh, the Star Wars prequels, all it takes is one little glimpse of a trailer and hope is restored, okay? So I'm pretty excited about this uh, new movie. It's a whole year away. And waiting is suffering. And suffering leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side. I don't, can't remember how it goes. But something like that. Nerds know about hope. Hope is something we all need. Hope is something we all need to survive. Hope is something that we all need to get through. Now, of course, the story of Jesus' birth, okay? No more Star Wars. Let's talk about Jesus. There's, um, the story of Jesus' birth is so familiar to us, Okay? We hear about it every year. We're taught it as a child. We're taught it at school. It's something we see as we go around uh, the month of December every year. We, we interact with this story of Jesus' birth. And it is so familiar to us. But there are two characters in this story that we're going to look at today that don't make the nativity scene. They're not there uh, in the stable with the donkeys and the, uh, and the angels and, and the wise men uh, with their gifts and Mary and Joseph and all the, all the gang. Uh, they're, not, they're not there. There are two members of this story that aren't there, two characters, and we're going to look at those characters today. And Their names are Simeon and Anna. And some of you um, may know who these characters are, but I imagine there are quite a few people who don't really know much about them. Maybe you've read it once or twice, but you've maybe not heard a sermon about it. You've maybe not heard the story of Simeon and Anna. And they appear just at the end of the birth narrative. Okay, So Jesus is born and he is taken to the temple by his parents, Mary and Joseph, to be dedicated, consecrated, as, uh, as is, the, is the law and expectation. So just a few days after he's born, he's brought to this temple. And there we encounter these two characters, Simeon and Anna. And we're going to look at their story today. They're part of this uh, nativity. They're, and they're often forgotten. And we're not going to look at them just because they're forgotten, but we're going to look at them because they embody more so than anyone else in this part of the story. They embody hope. Simeon and Anna embody hope. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about them. So let's, let's start with Simeon. Let's meet him. Okay, so we're going to look at Luke 2. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. Here is Simeon with the baby Jesus. And what does Luke tell us about Simeon? He tells us that he is righteous and devout. He is a man who lives what he believes. He is a man who is devoted to God. And he is devoted to the promises of God. He is a man who believed that God would do what he said he would do. 
This is who Simeon is. Simeon is a man who believed that God would do what he said he would do. He is a man of hope. Simeon is a man of hope. The scripture also makes it clear to us that the Holy Spirit was upon him, okay? And that the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Now, this was unusual, okay? We, we talk here all the time about the Holy Spirit being upon you, the Holy Spirit being in you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, don't we? We talk about that all the time. But right now, this is unusual. This is before Pentecost has happened. The, it is not normal at this point in, 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 the, in the history of, uh, of Scripture for someone to have the Holy Spirit upon them. It's, it was rare, okay? It was unusual, And what was also unusual is that the Holy Spirit wasn't just upon him. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Okay, Now, this didn't happen to everyone, so Luke highlights this. And this is important for us to notice. That, and why this is important for us to notice is that we are in the same position now as Simeon. Okay, In fact, we are in a better position than Simeon because Simeon had the Holy Spirit upon him. Okay, We have the Holy Spirit up- upon us, but we also have the Holy Spirit in us. And so whatever it is that caused Simeon to be a man of hope, a man who believed that God is who he says he is, we have that also. Whatever it is that allowed Simeon to become that man of hope, we have that also. He is not special, or he does not have anything more special or more powerful than what we have. In fact, we have more. In fact, we have it in a closer, more powerful way because the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us. Okay? And a fascinating thing here, a fascinating thing here with Simeon is that he is not just holding on to the promises of Scripture. He is doing that, okay? So he knows the Scripture well. He's a righteous and devout man. So he's read the Scripture. He knows the promises. He's expecting this Messiah, this Christ, okay? He is holding on to those promises, but he isn't just holding on to those promises because the Holy Spirit is making new promises to him. The the Holy Spirit has told him that he will not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. Okay? So this is what the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't just give us hope for the promises that we see in Scripture. The Holy Spirit makes new promises to us as individuals, personal to ourselves. Okay? And this is something we experience in the Christian life, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and God makes promises specific and individually to us. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He affirms the promises to his people and makes new ones just for us because he knows us and he loves us and he wants us to hope. He makes promises to us because he wants us to hope. God wants us to hope and to believe and to anticipate and to be excited about what is to come the holy spirit wants us to be excited about what is to come in proverbs 13 12 it says this hope deferred hope forgotten hope left behind makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life god makes promises to us so he can fulfill them God makes promises to us so he can fulfill them and it bring us life. This is who God is. This is what he is doing. This is what he's doing in us. And Simeon is a perfect picture of this. But what about when promises seem broken? What about when promises seem unfulfilled? 
What about hurt and pain and brokenness? Should we ignore that experience? Is that what hope is? Is hope the ignoring of pain and brokenness and disappointment? I don't think so. And Luke here highlights something that is very interesting. Simeon, it says here that Simeon was waiting for, for, for quite an unusual thing. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay, This is what it says. It's a funny term. The consolation of Israel. The Simeon isn't waiting for the salvation of Israel. Simeon isn't waiting for the redemption of Israel. Simeon is not waiting for the victory or the glory of Israel. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. What What does consolation mean? Consolation means to console, to comfort. To comfort those who have lost. To console means to comfort those who grieve. To console means to comfort those who are suffering. This is what Simeon is hoping for. A time where the lost, the broken, the suffering are consoled, are comforted. And he sees this boy Jesus, okay? He sees this baby, a few days old, eight days old. He sees this baby and he knows that this baby is the consolation of Israel. He is the comfort for the, for the suffering. He is the comfort for the, for the broken. He is comfort for those who are disappointed. In Isaiah 40, it says this. This is a prophecy of Jesus, okay? In Isaiah 40, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. Jesus has come to bring us comfort. Not the kind of comfort that just makes us, you know, feel okay and feel fluffy and good, but the kind of comfort that meets us right in the midst of pain, right in the midst of brokenness, right in the midst of sadness. So how does how does that how does this work? Okay, how does Jesus being born, how does Jesus being born as a baby create comfort for us? How does Jesus being born as a baby console us? Okay? I think it's because of this. Because nothing, nothing validates the human experience as Jesus being born as a boy. Okay, think about that. Nothing validates the human experience as Jesus being born as a boy. God being made as a man. It is what we call the incarnation. Right? It's what we call the incarnation. God made man. How does this bring us comfort and how does this bring us hope? It it does that in this way. God has not remained distant. God has not remained indifferent to the pain and the suffering and the disappointment we feel. He has come to taste it for himself. Okay? The struggles of family life, the hardship of growing up, the experience of poverty, being born illegitimately, being becoming a refugee, and ultimately being persecuted and abandoned. All these experiences of pain and suffering and disappointment, God has not 
decided to view it at distance, but he has decided to come and taste, to see, to know for himself what, exactly what it's like to be a human being, exactly what it's like to walk this earth, exactly what it's like to suffer, exactly what it's like to be abandoned, exactly what it's like to live And therefore, because Jesus knows, because God knows, nothing validates our experiences like that. Nothing validates your experiences of life, the things you endure, the things you go through, the good and the bad, like Jesus becoming one of us. And this, I don't know about you, but that brings me enormous comfort. Enormous comfort to know that he knows exactly what I'm going through. He knows exactly what I'm experiencing. That he has breathed this air, that he has walked this earth, that he has tasted the whole gamut of human experience and emotion. This brings us hope. The incarnation brings us hope. And that hope is not natural. It is supernatural. This hope is not natural, it is supernatural. It is given to us supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's Simeon. Now let's meet Anna, the second character of this story. Okay, so we're going to read from Luke 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, with these words, like I just say them, like I just go for it. I don't know if it's Phanuel, I just went for it. Phanuel. And you're like, yeah, Phanuel, I'm, I'm cool with that. Could be Fanuel, I don't know. It's all about confidence, right? You just go for it, Phanuel. It's easy, just go for it, Phanuel. Job, not Job, job. Just do it. Doesn't matter. Okay. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. That's an easy one. Um, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay, so who is this Anna? Anna was old, okay? She was 84 years old, and she had been a widow for over 60 years. But what she did with those 60 years was she devoted them to God. What she did with those 60 years is that she turns them all over to worship, prayer, and thanksgiving. I believe that Anna is one of the most hopeful characters in the whole of Scripture. If you want to understand how to be hopeful, look at Anna. If you, wanna, if you want more hope in your life, if you want more faith in your life, then look at Anna. A woman who, despite her circumstances, despite the disappointments she must have had, you know, when you get married, you dream that it's going to be for 60 years, don't you? You don't dream that you're going to spend that whole time of your life alone. But that's what happened to her. Despite her disappointments, despite her circumstances, she stays true to God. She stays steadfast to him. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's an amazing example of what it is to have hope. 
And one of the reasons why I love Anna and Simeon so much in this nativity story, okay? So this is the story of Jesus' birth and beginning. Why I love them so much in this story is that they don't get what the other characters get, right? So the magi, the wise men, they get, what do they get? They get a star in the sky, right? They get a star in the sky that they see and they follow. Mary, what does she get? She gets an angel, right? Joseph, what does he get? He gets an angel. The shepherds, what do they get? They get like a whole crew of angels. They get the angels telling them, speaking to them, revealed in front of them. Miracles, wondrous things in front of them. Even Zechariah gets an angel. I mean, who's Zechariah? He gets an angel. I mean, even he does. Anna does not get any of that. Anna has no angel. Anna has no star in the sky. All Anna has is hope. That's all she has and that's all she needs. All Anna has is hope. She doesn't have an angel. She doesn't have uh, uh, the voice of God speaking directly to her. She's not even described as Simeon's described with the Holy Spirit. She doesn't even have the Holy Spirit. All she has is hope, but hope is enough. All she has is hope, and hope is enough. So how does she do it? How does she fill her life and her heart with hope for the future, and ultimately hope that is rewarded and hope that is fulfilled? She does it this way. She does it by worshipping. Anna is a worshipper. Nothing builds hope like worship does. Okay? Nothing builds hope like worship does. In the midst of your waiting, if you continue to worship, hope will build. In the midst of your waiting, as as you continue to worship, hope will build. Hope grows most in the place of worship. So why is that? Why is that? I think it's this, because worship reminds us who God is. Worship reminds us what he has done. And worship reminds us what he is capable of doing. It takes our hearts and our minds away from our present circumstance and draws them onto the almighty and infinite and living God. Worship reminds us who God is. And who God is brings us hope. If it's true for Anna, how much more true is it for us? We have access to God far more than Anna ever had. We can know him intimately. Anna couldn't. Anna couldn't. Jesus had not accomplished what he then accomplished. And so she didn't have what we have, which is unhindered access to God himself. Ephesians says that we are to come boldly and confidently towards him. We have access to the Father. We have access to God. We can intimately know the creator of the universe. So how does that bring us hope? How does worshipping him, how does knowing him, how does coming forward to him intimately build hope in us? 
And I think it's because of this. If you are staring into the infinite, if you are staring into the face of the infinite God, and the infinite God is smiling back at you, if the infinite God is welcoming you, if the infinite God is singing over you, if the infinite God is lavishing his love upon you, the infinite, the awesome, the almighty God, the God who has done everything, the God that can do anything, if you are looking at this being, this infinite being, and he is smiling and joyful and loving and pouring out, pouring out, lavishing his love upon you, how can you not have hope? If the God that can do anything, if the God that made everything, loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you, treasures you, values you, likes you, more than anyone else has ever liked you, loved you more than anyone else has ever loved you, how could you not have hope? When we approach him, when we come to him, when we know him intimately, it breeds hope in us. Because when we see him, when we approach him, when we engage in relationship with him, we see that he loves us. We see, as it says in Zephaniah 3.17, that he sings over us. That we are precious to him. That his heart is for us. Because it doesn't feel like that day to day, does it? Often it feels like, I'm not sure, or things are going on. Circumstances are happening. Life is taking hold. I, don't, I can't see God. I can't know God. I, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't, know, I don't feel loved. I feel under attack or I feel abandoned or I feel alone. But it's at those points that where we turn, like Anna must have done so many times over 60 years, cling on to the hope and we can come forward and we can know and we can worship him intimately and know him and see him and experience and hear those words again of love over us. That you are my child and I love you. You are my child and I delight in you. You are my child and I am pleased with you. Jesus himself needed to hear the words of well done from his father. Jesus, the perfect human being, needed to hear the love and affirmation of his father. And if Jesus did so, how much more do we? How much more do we to keep our hope alive need to know the intimate love of God. Nothing builds hope like worship. Nothing builds hope like intimacy with God. Nothing builds hope like connection to Him. This is how we have it. This is how we keep it. We become worshippers. We become like Anna. We become people who determine and commit ourselves to always to worship, to always to come. Every Sunday I'm going to come, I'm going to worship. Every day I'm going to search the scripture, I'm going to meet with God, I'm going to put on a worship CD, I'm going to do whatever it takes, I'm going to find space in my time every day, I'm going to worship. Day after day, month after month, year after year. And when you do that, you become a person of enormous hope. 
enormous hope because you see time and time again, you know daily, you know intimately the love he has for you. And so you, you cease to strive, you cease to wonder and doubt in the same way that you would have done before because you know that he loves you. And through it all, through those years, through the disappointments, through the circumstances, you stay true. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Anna. Right? I want to be able to say at 84 uh, years of age, that every single year of my life was devoted to him. I'd want people to say of me, if they were to write about me in Scripture, to say that I devoted myself for 60 years. Plus, my whole life was poured out, given in hope. Given in worship, given in devotion. That's what I want, and I hope that that's what you want too.